Live inside Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football, it's Cofield and Company. Stays in to help blocking down the middle, deep for Ruggs. Ruggs has got it. 10-5. Yeah, baby. Jackpot. Vegas touchdown. Carr takes a snap. Fires over deep left side. Caught. End zone. Jackpot, baby. Touchdown, Vegas. Kenyon Drake. And Carr will go back into the gun on second and goal. Jacobs cuts middle, walks in. Jackpot, baby. Josh Jacobs, touchdown for the Las Vegas Raiders. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Getting ready for Monday Night Football. Willard Ramirez is here. It's Cofield. Here is Twin Peaks. We're getting ready for a good one with the Bills. And the Titans. What's up, Willie? Yo, man, you gotta, I need a little more energy. You know, Friday we were together, and I got the big yeah. I know that's a Friday <laughs> thing, but we got to get pumped up. They already got a, got a little bit of a crowd here. We're out here at Twin Peaks, third straight Monday for me out here. I like this place. Let's do it. Uh, reason to get pumped up, Raiders. That surprised the hell out of me yesterday. We got a lot to get to with the Raiders. We'll go to Denver for uh, one of the Denver insiders to give us his reaction to what was uh, and has to be a depressing result. For the Broncos, uh, we'll also talk to NFL insider Jason Cole because hey, we saw the Raiders win yesterday. That doesn't mean the story of Mark Davis being pissed off at the NFL, yeah. being irked with many of the owners around the NFL is over. All right, let's get to it. It's Trending at 2, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Well, I didn't expect that. You and I... Uh, Went back and forth, knock down, drag out, brawl. Not really. Uh, we disagreed on Friday. I didn't think the Raiders would react well to all the uh, hubbub all week, the Gruden debacle, the Gruden fiasco. I'll say they performed above and beyond where I thought they would, and the final score is completely misleading because if they had wanted to, if they had kept the foot on the gas pedal, uh, you know that could have been a you know a 45-13 victory. It winds up 34-24. They kicked the living crap out of the Broncos, and they did it in a lot of positions where they're beat up. Uh, and obviously we'll get into the whole the coaching change and the reaction on that. But just on the result, yeah. my Lord, that is – I think it's a shocker. And I don't think the Broncos are good, but it still shocks me. It did. And I – you know, and I was on the other end of it, but I did not expect as a dismantling as we saw. I did not think that – I don't know if, if it was that I didn't think the Raiders would dominate like they did or if the Broncos would lay down they did, like they did. I mean, they had some fight in them, but the Raiders just picked them apart, took them apart. Um, and now I'm perplexed with the real question is, are the Raiders or were the Raiders glad to see Gruden go? Because this was the most inspired and best. And I don't mean because of the emails. I'm talking about, Maybe just the play calling. Maybe just holding them back. Maybe just they didn't like you know. It, 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 let's 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 throw all the emails out. Let's pretend that this never happened. Do we see that same? The play calling's not going to be the same, but do we see that same effort? Do we see that same fun? Do we see that same you know altogether effort? That's where I'm perplexed with. Well, I mean, there's a lot of questions you just fired out there. <laughs> well, I. 
I'll say, first of all, we have to see more games coming up. Like, yeah. this Eagles game is not an easy game. No. Uh, you got a bye week after that. It could be a look-ahead spot. Again, all athletes, but especially in football, that is so freaking physical and emotional to have to get up for uh, every single week. But all athletes, you know, are prone to being up and down, and groups are prone to being up and down. So we're going to have to see them respond, you know, for a few more weeks to see what Basaccia means to them, what Gruden being gone means. I mean, I would chalk a lot of this up to if you handle what you're supposed to do after a coach goes bye-bye, even under these circumstances, you should get a bump. Now, sometimes teams are just like, F it, we get a bump. That, to me, was the most impressive part. Basaccia clearly is a motivator, right? He's a unique character. But this, I I chalk this up as a player-led revolt against outside noise. Mm. I mean, there's so many guys we can point to and we're going to point to. Their car's got one of them, right? Yeah, I don't, and I don't know how much Bisacci is a rock, rock guy. You call him a motivator. I just think that they have a lot of respect for him. I mean, listening to, you know, if you listen to Crosby, yesterday I was watching the press conference live, but then today I happened to watch, I was watching NFL Network, and I was watching the post-game interview right when they walk off the field in the tunnel with the reporter who was on hand there, and I'm listening. I can't remember if it was Steve Weiss or whoever was out there, but I'm listening. It was the exact same thing he said in the press conference and, and that he would do anything for Basachi. He took me under his wings. He said the same comments that he said to the media in the press room. So I think that they really when, – when Mayock said last week, this guy has had a hand on every single one of the players, whatever unit he's special teams coaches do, which for whatever reason, I guess that makes sense. But for him and how special he was and that he's the greatest leader of men that he's seen – and that's what I was reacting to okay. on the rah-rah thing. Yeah. It might not be a vocal rah-rah, but when the GM says he's the best natural-born leader of men that I've been around, I'm like, uh, when, when he said that last week, I was like, hey, are we not going to learn our lesson here? Let's diminish expectations. But obviously Mayock loves him, and in this one-game spot, the players, uh, one, I think played for themselves, and two, played really hard for their coaches, led by Basaccio. Yeah, it was a, and that was, a, that was a huge statement to say when you're talking about the um, you know the the personality that just resigned. I mean, outside of the yes. emails, I mean, you're talking yes. about a guy who you know who left the organization, won a Super Bowl, had the you know what was the thing called where he would do the little quarterback room on ESPN when he was you know when he was an analyst, right? He'd have his little quarterback camp. Um, so I mean, this was a guy who was a huge who huge figure, a huge personality. Um, I was getting a kick out of the, the television commentators listening to the game, watching the game live yesterday in some of the conversations that they had with the players in pre-production. And, he, and, and, and one of the things they talked about with Derek Carr was that he talked to Derek Carr and he said, you know, um, as, he said that the second last Monday when this went down and Gruden sent a text message to different, you know, to let them know what was going to happen. He sent a message to, to Derek Carr. Derek Carr said, uh, stop texting. I'm on my way, and he got because they're neighbors. And he got out and he ran over to his house. The first thing they did was hug. Later in the week, he was driving home through the neighborhood, and he saw Gruden walking. He's just out walking, going for a walk. <laughs> and he pulled over and he rolled down his window. He goes, "What's up, Coach? You are?" Right? He goes, "Derek, keep driving. You have a job to do." Oh, really? Found that really, um, yeah. yeah. Just there was, a, I mean, they had some really good anecdotes. The only only story he had completely wrong, which we'll talk about later when I bring up a, uh, some interesting receiving things. So, but for the most part, they were very, very um, poignant 
things that we didn't get, obviously, throughout the week because they wanted to keep that outside noise. They didn't want to get emotional. They wanted to stay focused on the game. But obviously, for pre-production purposes, these guys got some stories out of them and, and some raw emotion of how these guys were feeling going into the game. On the way back, we'll get into the Raiders' quick start and how they uh, pressed on the gas pedal in the second half to put the game out of reach. But, boy, they got it done. Gruden's gone. Uh, you know, it's been a week of shame and discussion around the Raiders organization and people getting after Mark Davis, but the players responded and got a big win yesterday in Denver. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at Two. It's a refi-rated Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Coach Basachi has been incredible, you know, my whole time for the Raiders. He took me under his wing, you know, since I got there. You know, if I needed literally anything, like talking about life, talking about football, talking about, you know, anything, he was always there for me. I can't say enough good things about him. You know, I'm just happy we got the win for him. We just got to go next week and, and beat Philly. Hanging at Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football, it's Cofield and Company. Raiders win. Shock a lot of us, I'll admit it. I thought they were going to have a real tough time against Denver with all the stuff leading up to the game. Um, didn't know if they had a good week of practice. We find out afterwards that they did have a good week of practice. They all talked about that. That was Max Crosby. And, you know, listen, we're not going to sit here. I'm not. Um, and coronate Rich Bisaccia. No. Right? Of course but not. But hell of an effort. He pulled them together. The other coaches pulled them together. I really think it was player-led. But I will say, based on what Crosby talked about there, uh, one, Max Crosby's had a really interesting journey during his pro career. Mm. And, you know, we, we talked about it, and he's been open about it, about, you know, substance abuse or really alcohol issues, right? Yeah. Uh, so I have no idea if, that, if he was talking about Versace being there as, you know, at work, personal stuff. But I will tell you this, what he just said, like you may think, hey, that's just a football player heaping praise upon a coach. Maybe Max does that a lot. How many times do you do that about a boss? I don't. Like, I, I think what he said, I was like, whoa, okay. That not, means a lot. Not someone that you can go and talk to your personal stuff about. And like you said, with like how many bosses you, have you had in your life where you're like, you know, I could really lean on this person. We have great bosses at Lotus, of course. Uh, but you get my point? Like, did he praise upon someone like that? Like, Versace means something to the guy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that just goes to show, like you said, you're not going to coronate Basia, but it, it, those guys have to take the field, and they're the ones that have to put forth the effort. And I think one of the best things that Bisaccia did was he allowed Gus to do what he did on defense, and he allowed Greg to do what he did. He didn't overrule anything, which that was the big difference for Greg Olson. He didn't have to worry about being vetoed on anything that he was going to do. So you, was gonna, you think the way they ran the offensive plan was mostly Olson? Yay, Greg, do it. Go ahead. It's, all, it's yours. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that it was discussed throughout the week with what Basaccia saw. I think they all sat down and they said, this is what I see with this offense. You tell me what you – and then but take it, from, take it from what I see and what I – and then – So, I saw a team offensively that I thought had taken the next step, but not fully taken the next step. Mm. Like, I like what they've done. They had come out of this conservative shell at time. They were kind of forced – to go away from the run game all the time. Everything they do was based on the run game. Meanwhile, you're building this offense where you're like, hey, we want to rip the top off the defense. We're going to get big guys who can run. We're going to get a smaller guy who can run with a first-round pick and rugs. And then you watch, and you're like, well, why aren't they doing it? And they started to do it. 
to open the season. And then I thought yesterday, this was dynamite early on. Uh, this is the rugs hookup. This is such a good sign that you're, you listen, you have a plan. You're getting weapons to do something. Actually do it. Stays in to help blocking down the middle, deep for Ruggs. Ruggs has got it. 10, 5. Yeah, baby. Jackpot. Vegas touchdown. And you know what, Steve, is let's, let's not forget also. Let's not, you know, go too far out here. Fangio and his staff had absolutely 100% nothing to look at. They had no game film because you, you can look at players, right. but you can't look at schemes and, right. and systems. What are these and, guys going to do? Yeah, they don't are they going to change it or are they basically baby Gruden's? Right, and he said, on, he said during the conference call we had last week, you know, I know, um, I know Rich, he's a great friend of mine, so I don't think that they're going to change much. But they still did, that doesn't mean that you know what Greg Olson's going to call. They didn't know. Now, though, guess who has game film on what Greg Olson calls? The Philadelphia Eagles for this short week. Now, I think, I think the Eagles are at a disadvantage, and I think they're definitely at a quarterback disadvantage. But the fact of the matter is they now have game film to see exactly what they're going to do you know, and, and who they're going to turn to. You know, Darren Waller, Started the season, if you remember that first half of that Baltimore game on Monday night, he was targeted like, I think I had said this, you know, 68 or 70 percent of the first X amount of passes. He was targeted against Baltimore 19 times. He had 10 receptions. Since that game, he's gone in order. 19 targets, 7 targets, 7 targets, 7 targets, 8 targets, 5 targets in Denver. And reception-wise, he's gone 10-5-5-4-4-5. So he went 5-for-5 yesterday, but they're spreading the wealth. It has nothing to do with Darren Waller. It's just that they're going to bottle him up. They're going to focus on him. They're going to double-team him. They're going to make it hard for him to get open. But that's also going put to put those dangerous weapons like Ruggs, like Edwards, like Hunter Renfro. It's going to allow them to do what they do and provide more weaponry for Derek Carr. I also thought on defense they played – to another level, and the the aggression was awesome. Um, turning him over that many times, key, and it would be great. You know, you get four turnovers every game, but uh, man, the pass defense was awesome. Here's the uh, first uh, interception for the Raiders. Bridgewater's going to go back at the gun. They need a yard. Got to watch the ball. Bridgewater going to take it back to throw for the first down. Has time high, intercepted at midfield, picked off by the Raiders. And it'll be Raiders first down, Brandon Faison. There you go. Faison. Faison. With the interception. And then let's uh, let's give Brent a chance here to call one of the Crosby sacks. Second and ten. Bridgewater wants to test him again. Has time. And he's hit in the pocket and crushed. Brought down at the 25-yard line. Turning the somersault. Mad Max Crosby rips into Bridgewater. Give that young man another sack. I love when Matt, uh, when Max Crosby was asked specifically about the defensive line, and he said, you know, I think, yeah, I think we're one of the best, if not the best defensive line. That's the, he said, whether or not they are or not, that's the mentality they step on the field with every single week. And sure enough, you look at Pro Football Focus still to this, this week and throughout this season, um, Max Crosby sits atop the edge defenders with a 91.5 grade. Um, and his pass rush, 92.2. So, I mean, he is the the leading edge rusher on one of the, if not the top defensive lines. 
And the thing that's impressive about the Raiders, if you look, they don't necessarily rank high in the league when it comes to blitz percentage or pressure percentage. But they have 16 sacks, which is one, two, three, fourth highest um, behind teams that are tied for 21, two teams, two teams tied with 18, then, a, then the Cardinals have 17, and then the Raiders and Panthers have 16. So they're right there near the top with 16 sacks, but they don't blitz a lot. They don't pressure a lot as far as when you look at the mean among the NFL teams. Man, first uh, 38 career games. Now for Crosby, he's got 22 sacks. Yep. Anthony Smith, the all-time leader over 38 games, fastest out to a high sack number with 34 and a half. Max Crosby, 22. Khalil Mack, 21. Greg Townsend, 20 and a half. And uh, Bill Pickell with 20. So, I mean, he's putting his name up there with some of the great rushers, sack masters, and Raiders history. Let me ask you this. Down the road, Khalil Mack ever consider coming back to the Raiders now? Well, Raiders are trying to get him. According to reports, they tried to get him this offseason. They tried to bring him back. That was with Gruden. Think you'd want to come back now? <laughs> we, I mean, we we have a lot to hash out with John Gruden gone. Like what was going on? What can change? What improvements there will be? Uh, will there be some things where they, you know, areas where they fall apart in? You know, yeah. I, I don't want to just, you know, they win one game and it's like screw Gruden. They're done. No, and it's not, they're better now. It's not screw Gruden, but it's the way that they went out and won it, which is huge. If they if they go up there and they pull one out, they win a close one, or they lose a close one. There's no moral victories. We know that phrase from all uh, from a lot of places. But the fact of the matter is, is the way that that team went out there and dominated and won at a rival opponent's stadium, where you know that that team and that crowd was ready to scream and yell and take advantage and fans probably getting ugly and saying the worst things possible. The bottom line is that team was not phased. They said they blocked out the noise, and, man, did they ever do it. And that this could be a huge turning point type of win that could propel some things. Like you said, they got, they got a bye week right around the corner. I mean, they get healthy, get, they get well, they get their mind straight, and they really put some things together with this some you know this i say new coaching staff but it's not new it's just new structure organizational structure the flow chart's different uh could be a dangerous team domestic drafts under four bucks and appetizers for two dollars four dollars and six dollars all at twin peaks i think they've given us a little bit of an identity up front of what it's supposed to look like from walk through to meeting to practice now into the game. And uh, they feed off of each other. So I, I think it's been a, a good identity for us as we go forward on defense. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Rich Passaccia, winner. Raiders come out, blow out the Broncos. The score didn't show it at the end. Fourth quarter, they let off. The gas pedal, but win number one without John Gruden. You know, during the break, Ari was ripping on uh, Basaccia and his style yeah. as compared to Gruden. He's, you know, he's a boisterous guy. He's a former announcer. He's a bigger-than-life personality. In some ways, can the Raiders benefit from the fact that they don't have that you know, overarching personality? I think so because I don't think that John Gruden is the type of guy like – I don't think he's the type of guy that wants to steal the spotlight. He just naturally does. So right. he, you know, we you sit here and you say, okay, who's the face of the franchise? Like, let's just say the other, the Golden Knights. We spent four years 
Marc-Andre Fleury was the face of the franchise. Peter DeBoer and Gerard Gallant was yeah. not. The, goal, uh, the, the Raiders. Been Gruden the whole time. It's been Gruden the whole time. Now who is it? It's pretty obvious. Well, I mean, it's two has guys, to be, but I think it's one guy ahead of the other. I think right now it's, it's Derek Carr, right. but I think re- he's he, because of this season, Max Crosby he's, has really come along yeah, to, 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 to secure it. And I think every it's not just that; it's it's his friendliness and his sound bites. It's the whole. I mean, this is, may sound corny to you, but to, or to others, but the whole orange Porsche thing; those are things that get that go viral these days and they make they 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 lead to social media popularity so it makes you intrigued and interested in hearing what that guy has to say now you find out oh man he's this and he's the top edge rusher and he's he's leading the defensive line now he's being brought out once a week and he's a regular on the podium so he has just inherited that so on offense it's Derek Carr and on defense it's Max Crosby which I find interesting as well because a lot of the talk going into the season was that that defense was bolstered by a lot of veterans brought in for each unit to help the youngsters come along. K.J. Wright, Casey Hayward, Denzel Perryman, right? You had these guys right. coming in. And Gakwe, Solomon Thomas on the front line. Yeah. And on the defensive line. And now, you know. By the way, Thomas had a great strip yesterday. Fantastic. And Gakwe's been very good. But Crosby, Crosby has emerged as the leader. And we should point out yesterday, they were beat up. They were beat up going into that game, that defensive line. And I want to point something out. Yeah. I don't think that people realize this. The defense isn't why that team won. They, they, they shut Denver down, but as we said at the, at the top, and we've been saying for weeks, Denver's not that great of a team. They went 3-0 and because they beat up some winless teams. You know, yesterday, the Las Vegas Raiders gave up the most yards that they've given up all season. They previously had given up 406 yards to the Baltimore Ravens. That was their most they had given up. Yesterday, the Broncos got 421 yards, 309 through the air, 112 the difference in terms of – and one thing that Gruden brought up a couple of weeks back is we have to do a better job of getting turnovers, and Ngakwe said that too. we got to turn the ball over and give it back to our offense. So the defense helped, yes, because it got four turnovers for the offense, but the offense put up 426 quality yards and, again, caught the Broncos off guard with a system that they weren't waiting for. Derek Carr was awesome. Getting the ball to Edwards and Ruggs, who both averaged over, what, 32 yards a catch. Yeah. So Carr, under some pressure, has to lead the offense. He gets the job done. I was listening to, uh, you know, one of our best shows, aside from JT the Brick over on R&R 920, uh, Colin Cowherd, right? And Cowherd was freaking laying into a common enemy for him, Baker Mayfield. Now I'll say I think it was a little unfair. Mayfield is beat to hell, and he is playing with a torn labrum. But he went down a whole list of, quarterbacks who have had to deal with adversity and had adversity coming into this week and you know built it from hey baker we don't want to hear excuses browns get their ass kicked right mm-hmm. look at what kyler murray's dealing with his coach was out mm-hmm. and then he quickly pivoted to Derek Carr, and he was like Carr was unbelievable and then obviously laid out all the things that we know that have been going on around las vegas with the raiders Carr responded and and you know let's not diminish the value of the victory, the quality of the victory, mm. Denver's defense is good. They it's, have good personnel. Their, their defense is good. Their offense is the thing I think we all look at and go, can they be a 10-win team? Can they be a playoff team with that offense? This is no walkover defense. Now, that said, and we'll, we'll talk to a Broncos insider in a little bit, now the Broncos are starting to unravel a bit on defense because they're getting hurt. 
they're getting hurt. They 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 have you know when you have a veteran like Von Miller on that team, it's you you can't discount it in any way, shape, or form. But again, we're gauging how good it was against the Giants, the Jaguars, the Jets. You know, um, giving up twenty six points in three game in the first three games. Um, the two of those first three games, they get they allowed less than two hundred yards. You know, then Baltimore comes in and wins twenty three to seven. They pick up four hundred. They put a four hundred and six spot up. The 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 Raiders are actually have put the most yards on that defense this season for with uh, picking up four hundred twenty six yesterday. So it's a quality win for so many different intangibles, Steve. I mean, you know, a lot of times we talk about. Why did this team win? Well, it's got to get better in this facet, or it's got to do this next time out. There's really not an area where yesterday you can nitpick and say that, well, well Carlson missed a one field goal, right? So, I mean, but I mean, realistically, there's not an area that you can say that this team needed to pick its intensity up. I, I was actually thinking about my colleague Josh Dubow up in the Bay Area, who still writes the, the post-game analysis that, that runs on EP every Monday for every NFL team. And I was, there, there are sections to it, and it's the same format for every team. Um, what's working, what's not, stock up, stock down. And I was thinking, what is he going to come up for with what's not? Because yesterday was a solid performance all his around. Spe- by the way, his specialty. <laughs> what's not working? <laughs> yeah. Josh's specialty. Oh, yeah. Did he struggle? He'll find a way to find to, <laughs> to slip car in there. Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. All right, well. The story still looming around the victory by the Raiders is still what's going on with the NFL and what happened with Gruden and if Mark Davis is pissed off, if Mark Davis wanted to keep Gruden around. Uh, on the way back, we're going to bring in Jason Cole, longtime NFL expert, NFL insider, and he'll talk about the fact that uh, he mentioned last week that there are people around Mark Davis who do believe that the league would love to get rid of Davis, and they've told him so, that Davis feels like, hey, this league is out to screw me. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. Cofield and Company rolling on here on a Monday. So the Raiders get the victory, but the story still looms with Gruden versus the NFL, Mark Davis versus the NFL, a guy who's got some really good insight on this story is Jason Cole, NFL insider, Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. Let's start off, Jason, with the fact that the Raiders went out, they responded, and got a big win against the Broncos. Were you surprised by the result of this game? That's one of those situations where a team with a back against a wall uh, feels like everybody's against them. Uh, kind of traditional setting for a team to play play well. Plus, like the Broncos are just sort of mediocre at this point, too. I, mean, I don't think the Raiders are all that great, but they've had a better start to the season than the Broncos. And the Broncos have some injury issues that they're that are holding them back. Like Teddy Bridgewater is really a, a, just a below average quarterback. You know, on a, on a good team, he's a backup. On so when you don't have all your weapons around a guy like that, it makes it harder to function. And so without Jerry Judy and without some other guys that they that they have, plus some of the holes that they have on defense because of injuries there what was a slightly above average team at the beginning of the season becomes a below average team. I think the Raiders caught them at a good can flip very easily. If these teams played again, that's just the nature of how these two teams are. And I think it's clear that the Broncos are just sort of biding time until they find that franchise quarterback, which I believe is going to be Aaron Rodgers next year. Uh, But that's another story for down the line. 
Well, it's a good story to cover. Do you believe that Rodgers will go there with the – I mean, they can't change the roster too much, but I guess the biggest question is, will he go there with Vic Fangio as the head coach? That's an important question. Um, I think it's more important who the offensive coordinator is and what the offense they run, which ultimately is going to be whatever offense Aaron Rodgers wants to run. So if he comes in and says, I want to do this, this, and this, they're going to go, yes, sir, that's what we're going to do. That's what you do with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, just like that's what you did when Peyton Manning got there. You ran his offense until he couldn't do it anymore. So I think that will happen. Um, I think that will eventually be the parting of the ways between the Packers and and, um, you know, and, and Rodgers to send him to an AFC team. Uh, the other pl- most of the other places in the West have quarterbacks already. Yes, could the Raiders get involved on Aaron Rodgers? Perhaps. But I think that th- whatever the changes are with that team uh, are the same. Like, who's going to be the next head coach? Who's going to be the offensive coordinator? Who, you know, what does Rodgers think of those weapons? Like, does he think that Ruggs and, and Waller are better than Fanton, Judy, and Sutton? It, it's all, all going to be kind of subjective and up to him what he ultimately wants to do. That's how I, that's how I think this will play out. But I think that the Broncos will have the guts to make that move because they did it so successfully with Peyton Manning before. It's Cofield and Company, Jason Cole, NFL Insider is with us. All right, what do you make of reports that uh, Mark Davis is uh, really pissed about what went down last week with Gruden and the league? I mean, it puts him in a bind because now he's got to pay Gruden all this money that he owes him. You know, they're going to have to settle out what the remaining $40 million on that contract, whatever it is. I mean, not that Gruden is in a great negotiating position, but he still has some power in the in in the situation to get what he wants look if i'm mark davis you have lost mark mcgain before you know training camp even started and this is a, you know your most trusted advisor for the last 30 years certainly the most trusted advisor you've had over the last 10 years since your father died the guy that you're closest to the guy who got you to vegas in a lot of ways negotiated the new stadium deal that guy's gone along with um, you know, Ed Villanueva and some of the other people who are on the financial staff. Now you've lost Gruden. You've all, lost all these people who are really close to you, and you get increasingly isolated. And so I know Dan Ventrelli is still there, but Dan Ventrelli was really sort of a junior executive compared to what Bedane was. It, when people get more and more isolated, they're going to get angrier and angrier. Okay, and the guidance that they would might have to get them out of that doesn't exist anymore. So for Mark Davis, he's going to you know, be ticked off at the people who have caused certainly Gruden's departure. You know, Bedane's departure is a little different story, um, and I'm not sure that anybody really knows all the details to that one at this point in time. It's a lot of speculation, but certainly with Gruden, this guy who you know, Davis went out of his way to go get, you know, fired Jack Del Rio, gave a 10-year, $100 million contract, you know, talked about how great it was to have Gruden back with the organization. Now it has become an embarrassment. He's going to be upset about that. And he's going to lash out at other people and not going to have other people sort of counsel him through that lashing out might not be the wisest thing to do. If he were going to sue the league, what would he sue them over? What would be the, the biggest point of contention? Well, the responsibility over the leaks. Like, who, who was ultimately responsible for this? And, of course, there's a huge amount of speculation. Um, there's one of the law firms that has handled this, you know, are, are they close to people within the NFLPA? Did it come from the NFLPA? Did it come from Dan Snyder, who was, 
you know, pissed off at Bruce Allen and the fact that Bruce Allen has primarily skated through this. And obviously Raiders fans know Bruce Allen as well as Redskins fans. Um, is this somebody in the league office who's trying to embarrass somebody for some reason? Who knows what it is? At the end of the day, however, I've been, the Raiders had those emails, and I don't think it was just like one weekend they had them. I think they'd had those emails for a while. And once those emails start to circulate, as part of that investigation, because they have to go through multiple hands. You know, chain of command is a hard thing to prove. Figuring out where they came from is a hard thing to prove. And so, I, you know, you can try and sue the NFL over this, you know, over, over the damages caused by it, but is the NFL ultimately responsible? I got some serious doubts about that. One of the things that rings hollow for a lot of Raiders fans and just observers of the NFL is that the NFL, you know, said it was disgusted. This is not acceptable language. If they had the emails back in July, why didn't they launch into action immediately then and get moving on getting rid of Gruden at that point? Because they have been very successful over the years at hiding things like this. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. I mean, like, but, but, I mean, people don't realize this. Like, it's not the job of the NFL to go out and investigate itself, right? Like, most companies do a very poor job of internal investigation, right? Unless they're under duress. Now, some do. Some that are have incredibly high integrity, you know, be over the chart top you know you know integrity and depend on that as their brand name and worry about it and also companies that this is an isolated incident like it only happens once every say 20 years we'll take the hit when that happens because we otherwise run our business so carefully the nfl is not like that okay the nfl is not like that and, and it's not like that for some very honest reasons not because they're dirty despicable people that's not what it is they're just it's it's not really one company it's 32 companies that are run through one sort of office okay and 30 you know basically 31 billionaires and then the green bay packers and so they all kind of have their own way of doing business and there's a bunch of other subordinate people that who do reckless and stupid things okay yeah and, and the other part of this is John Gruden wasn't even an NFL employee when this happened. He just happened to interface with an NFL employee at the time in Bruce Allen. So, you know, like you're you're at sort of the the will and whim of thousands of people who have very high profiles because they're media creatures who can affect your brand image. So to me, the, you know, the NFL is not going to sit here and go, oh, we got to get rid of every bad person who sends a really ugly email. I mean, they get rid of 30 or 40% right. of their workforce if that happened. Jason Cole is with us on Cofield and Company as he is a uh, pro football home, Hall of Fame voter, NFL insider. You also tweeted that Mark Davis believes the league may be trying to get rid of him and that people have told him so. His friends believe that the NFL is trying to get rid of him, and they have told him that. Whether he believes that or not, I don't know, okay? But certainly there's enough paranoid people around Mark Davis. And again, because he is isolated from his top advisors, right, his top chiefs, like there's no more Mark Bidane there. Um, there's no more John Gruden there. You know, who are all of a sudden, who are the people who are in your ear? And who are the people, who are, are they starting to convince him? But look, 
he's been told for more than a decade, like almost from the time that he got control of the team after his father's death, that you know they want to get rid of you because there were people in the league who wanted to get rid of Al. They wanted the the Raiders sold to somebody else who knew how to you know increase the brand and increase the value of the franchise long before it ever moved to Las Vegas, right? right? Like there were people who believed the Oakland Raiders should have been much more financially powerful from a marketing standpoint and ultimately powerful enough to have gotten a stadium done in Oakland long ago and not have had to get the golden parachute that they got from Las Vegas. Now, it all happened in Las Vegas and it's been great for the value of the team and it's been great for, you know, making more money. But there are people who believe that that should happen have happened when Al was alive more than 10 years ago and they wanted to get that. And Jerry Jones was one of those people. He had people who were ready to buy a stake in the Raiders, except that that stake included eventually being able to buy control. And Al didn't want to do that. And Al's advisors at the time didn't want to do that. So yes, this is a long history of how do you get the Raiders in the hands of people who can make it more valuable? Yeah, I would think that Davis has carried favor with the league, the fact that he got the stadium deal done. No, I mean, I think that there are a lot of people who looked upon Mark more favorably after he got the Las Vegas deal done, and he it did help him. At the end of the day, however, these are billionaires for a reason. These are not... Right. These are cutthroat business people. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They still look at this and say, "Think about how much better." Like as much as the the Raiders are worth three and a half billion or whatever it happens to be right now, they should they're they're looking at this going, "Well, they should be really worth four and a half billion because they should have been worth so much more before, and now we should you know we should be marketing this team even bigger than it already ha- has." And so it's really not, there's not one moment in time that defines this feeling. So there's not one positive moment that changes the perspectives towards Mark. And there's not one negative moment that just turns it the other way. It's an accumulation of things that happen over a 20, 30 year period that include not just Mark, but his father before him in setting the tone that the NFL wants a more sophisticated owner of the Raiders. Let's go back to Gruden for one second. When the news came out of the Gruden emails, I think you tweeted out to anyone who knows Gruden, this wasn't surprising. What did that mean? If you know Gruden and you've listened to him talk over time in private settings where he's just, you know, shooting his mouth, he sounds like this. These are the kind – now, I've never heard him use, you know, the word he used towards – you know, the homophobic word they use towards, um, you know, Roger Goodell. Okay, I've never heard that um, out of his mouth. But he's a kind of shock jock. And I, and I also said this. I mean, if you know Gruden, he says a lot of things just to get a rise out of people, to get a laugh out of people. And he's crude that way. Okay? And some of the times, I don't even think that he necessarily means it, and certainly not in the way that it comes off in an email. He's just kind of being group, you know, saying something off the cuff to get a laugh. It's it, it, it play a role. And I said this in another text message. You know, it's kind of like Clint Eastwood playing Walt Kowalski, right? Um, he's just that kind of guy who's going to shoot from the hip. Well, that doesn't make you a really good person. Okay. No. It makes you a shock jock and you're supposed to be a leader of men. But I am not shocked that he would say any of the things that he said in those emails. I don't know that they're 100% serious because that's not how he is. 
as a human being. But once you put it in writing, okay, you're responsible for it. So he's got to live with it. So you don't think Gruden ever practiced what he was preaching in the emails? No, I mean, no, not really. I think he, look, I think Gruden is about Gruden. Gruden is about whatever it takes for me to win games, whatever it takes me. And, and you know, you hear stories from players like Darren Waller talking about how this guy made me a better player. You know, Derek Carr. With guys in football, I don't think he cares about black or white or any of that. He just cares about winning football games. That's all that matters to him. But that doesn't make okay. Make it so that you, I mean, I don't think he cares about Carl Nassib's you know, orientation. Carl Nassib can get to the quarterback. But he also wrote these homophobic, he wrote these anti-protest remarks that are going to come off as being a jerkball. Because he said it, he wrote it, and he has to own it. Okay? And, and, and once, once you do that, I don't think he put the foresight into understanding, well, if I say this out loud, you know, people will just kind of forgive me and, and they'll be okay. No, you can't kind of say those things out loud. You can't just get a rise out of people because you are a leader of men. You are a leader of, of people from all different walks of life. And you have to bring them together like you normally do to play football. You don't have to be nice to do it. Okay, you don't have to pat them on the back all the time and say everything's okay. You know, you got to, you know, sometimes kick them in the rear. That's how how coaching works. But you can't insult them. And he never insulted them at practice. He never insulted them in meetings. But privately, he did. When that came out, you can't be a leader of men anymore. Last couple of questions. I got I got some uh, media angles here for you. When when we hear sure. this stuff face to face or in a group, what are we supposed to do? You know, if language like this is used, because I, frankly, I, I, I think we let it pass too often. Like, should we, should we be calling guys out publicly? I mean, admonish them face to face. What do you do? It's forever the tough call. I mean, I'm, I'm, like, there's no easy answer to this. I mean, do you do you call them out in public or do you look at them and go, "Come on, man!" Like, you can't you can't say this kind of stuff. You got to stop, right? And does that work? When you say it, because if you if you go out and report sometimes everything that you you hear in a private conversation, then you don't have a relationship right. with the guys that you're trying you're trying to deal with and get information from, right? And sometimes things are just said as a joke. I, I believe that Gruden and Bruce Allen a lot of the times are they're on the edge of trying to be funny with with each other in these messages. They think that this is they think that this is humorous between the two of them. They're going to get a laugh out of it. As a longtime reporter, give me your insight on Adam Schefter and Allen. And I've also heard the same thing about Adam Schefter going years back to uh, his relationship with Mike Shanahan. Like, what is this unusual that you're getting approval? I mean, what do you think of this whole thing? Um, it's not the way I would do business, but. Look, Adam's a great reporter. I would never take anything away from Adam's ability to break stories and get news and do what ESPN asks, has hired him and pays him very well to do. Adam's one of the best information guys in the history of the league, probably the best. I've told this to kids that I teach in, in journalism. Um, if you think that there are hardcore ethical rules about journalism, I mean, you're, you're sadly mistaken. You know, ethics are like a waterbed. Okay, every time you sort of 
you know, it's like standing on a waterbed. Every time you kind of change the position of your weight, they move around a little bit. Right. Now, is Adam ultimately trying to get the best, most accurate story out to serve his readers um, while at the same time, you know, serving the purposes of his sources to get the, that information out? Yeah. You know, I would never turn over a story for anybody to read. I would never agree to turn over a story for anybody to read. But I also don't look at that as some really egregious, terrible thing. Jason, that was a great conversation. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. Be good. Thanks. There he is, NFL insider Jason Cole's conversation today is brought to you by Nova Home Loans and Dustin DeHart, 577-2600 is the number. Listen, property values are way up, but so are rental rates, and it's time to stop paying rent. Nova Home Loans can help you do that. Quit paying your landlord these record high rental rates and purchase your dream home today. If you're a veteran or active duty military, they've got great programs for you as well. For a VA loan, no lender fees, that's 1300 bucks in savings. If you got credit issues, they can help you out. If you need help with your down payment, they can also help you out. It's Dustin DeHart, Nova Home Loans, 577-2600-577-2600. Domestic drafts under... Bucks and appetizers for $2, $4, and $6, all at Twin Peaks.